Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Remarkably Us, the podcast. I'm your host, Shelly Roan, sober gal living in Southern California, navigating the ins and outs of life. After what we'll call the great breakdown of 2019, I've been journeying through self-discovery, sobriety, trauma, divorce, relationships, all of the above. In this podcast, I'll have solo episodes where I talk about my life, the things that I am dealing with, have dealt with, and all the tools I've collected in maintaining a consistent environment for self-growth, love, and discovery. We'll also hear from others who are breaking barriers and climbing incredibly tough mountains. Get ready to get inspired and motivated to laugh and to cry, but most importantly, to love a little. Let's jump right into it. Before I begin, it's early. <laughs> it's like 6.30 in the morning because I'm a crazy person. Um, I have a lot to do today and over the next couple of days that I usually take the last half of the week to record. Um, I won't have time. So I'm just up early, you know, and just getting this done. I wanted to sit for a little while and journal and kind of think. Last weekend, a dear, dear friend of mine lost her partner and when a death happens unexpected it just death in general rocks you but when you when you're blindsided by it it rocks your world. It takes your world and it literally flips it over and dumps it out. I feel, I'm, I imagine like a box of Legos and toys and little toys and things like that. Right. And someone just going over and flipping it over and just spewing everything everywhere. And what's, what's left is picking up the pieces slowly and in time picking up the pieces so that's kind of been you know over the last week what you know what we've been going through and and dealing with my heart just you know it, it aches for her and Last year, I had another friend who lost her husband and it just, to see someone's love like that just ripped apart is, that's really, really tough. I just wanted to say before I kind of get into today's topic and talking about my issues, (laughs) That people always say life is short. That's like our go-to phrase, right? Life is short. Live it while you can. But really, life is really short. 
You have no idea when it's going to be your time, when the universe or God or whoever, whatever you believe in is going to stop your clock. And there's always a bigger reason for everything in death. It's hard for me to find it, especially a death like this where they are so young and have so much life left to live. It's difficult for me to find reason. Is there a reason? Why? What is the purpose of causing this immense pain just to make us stronger, to make us more grateful? What is it? I don't know. But I do know that in death, we mourn. We feel anger and we feel sadness and we feel empty. But from that can bloom a gratitude for knowing love, for having a love so deep that it consumes you with that grief. The gratitude that we get to feel that love for another human being, that all encompassing and soul aching love for somebody else. We get to feel that. And just because someone is physically gone, it doesn't mean that they just leave your, leave you. They never do. People never leave. Our energy, it stays around. Our souls, we stay around. So I find comfort in knowing that all of the people that I have loved and lost in a way and parts of them are still here. When your physical body disappears, I don't believe that you just disappear. No, when your soul and your energy is connected to another person, that can't be severed completely. So parts of that person will stay with you forever. I just don't think it works like that. I don't think that they just, you just disappear. So find some gratitude today. Find something that brings you joy. Call somebody that you love and tell them that you love them. Hash out bad blood and grudges and differences and arguments that you have because it's not worth it. If today was my last day, I would know that I'm happy and that I am loved. And that I do love. And that I've made a difference. Small, but it's there. So that's how, uh, just all I wanted to just stay there at first. Um, as you know, 
from last week, I am doing a wholehearted inventory assessment series, right? So last week I went through guideposts one through three. Basically, if you know, if you didn't listen to the last one, go listen to it. But the wholehearted living quiz basically rates you on where you fall in each of these 10 guideposts um, closer to what you need to let go of or closer to cultivating the opposite of that, right? This is from Brene Brown's work um, and her book, The Gifts of Imperfection, which is actually, it came out 10 years ago and she recently came out with a 10-year anniversary edition with just some new tools added to it based on another decade of research. So I've read the book. I've listened to the book. I have taken the assessment a couple of times. <laughs> and now I'm going to go through these guideposts with you and show you, share you guys where I fall. And again, like I said last week, if you want to take the quiz and kind of then, you know, take the, the, um, take the quiz. It's on BreneBrown.com on the gifts hub and, um, you know, take it and then follow along with me and look, one, you know, see where we fall, see where we fall together. So guidepost four, I'm going to start, I'm just going to start off today. I'm doing four, six, and seven. So guidepost four is letting go of scarcity and fear of the dark and cultivating gratitude and joy. And with this one, I scored right below the middle mark. So I'm not super far in the negative, but I'm definitely more negative than positive. And this is tough for me because I think my anxiousness and my looking constantly for the next bad thing to happen. I mean, this goes pretty hand in hand with what I just opened with, with death. I've lost a lot of people in my life and I am kind of always waiting for something like constantly wound up preparing myself for the next trauma to happen. I'm always on guard for that shoe to drop. And it's funny because <laughs> I have like an actual fear of the dark. It is intense. And I don't know if when I was a really little kid, if I was scared of the dark, I feel like most kids are right. But I don't know if I had that like debilitating fear of the dark when I was a child. I remember when I was little, we were living in South Carolina. My mom was, my mom had remarried um, to her second husband. He whose name shall not be spoken. And I remember I wanted to sleep with the door closed. I don't know if I had always slept with the door closed or not. I'm not really sure, but I knew that I wanted to sleep with the door closed. I think I was probably maybe six, maybe six or seven. And for some reason, he wouldn't let me sleep with the door closed. And so I would sit in bed and I would be staring out at the, you know, so if it's, if the hallway, if there's no light, right. It's just like the door frame and then just pitch black. 
you know, there's, you can't see like a hallway or anything. It's just right. Like this frame of black. And I remember, I don't know if I've ever been that scared in my entire life. And that, that fear of the unknown, that fear of what could possibly come through that door. And I think not that like my, this, you know, um, my scarcity and fear of the dark, but that this guidepost that came from that one <laughs> instance, but I have that same feeling in adulthood, right? What's sitting back and kind of just on alert, right? What's going to come through that door. And I better not keep my eye off that door just in case something happens. Like it's, it's hard to not constantly be waiting for something bad to happen when there have been pretty big periods of your life where, well, bad things did happen, but that constantly looking over your shoulder, it breeds nothing but darkness, right? So uh, this is, this is tough for me. This is really tough for me. Um, Brene has a states in her book that the dark does not destroy the light. It defines it. It's only our fear of the dark that casts our joy into shadows. So if you let that, that fear of the dark, and when I say that, right, I'm talking about that fear of the unknown, fear of what might happen, um, fear of the horrific possibilities. And it's, it's interesting because when I was younger, I don't know who told me this or how I heard this or how I came up with it, but I would tell myself your fear of the dark is not being scared of just darkness. Like I'm not scared of just a dark room. I'm scared of the unknown. I'm scared of what could possibly be in that room. I'm scared of all of the possibilities that come out of a dark room of not knowing what's in there, not knowing what's behind that door frame. That's that fear of the dark. Your foreboding joy. So that's fucking tough for me because I feel like when I, when, when good things are happening and I'm like, this is like great, you know, like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm happy. I'm having fun. I, you know, I'm enjoying myself. Work is going good. All this stuff. Right. I kind of sit back and I'm like, wait a fucking second. <laughs> you know, I'm like, nothing bad has happened in a couple of months. You know, it's like, I'm so used to riding this wave up really high of trauma or, you know, uh, circum bad circumstances or, you know, bad things happening to either myself or people around me. I'm so used to riding that wave and kind of being on alert 
that when I'm not, when things are going good and I'm just feeling really happy and grateful and joyful, I question it. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Why is this? Is this supposed to be this good? I shouldn't feel like that. We shouldn't feel like that. We should let ourselves just feel joy. Just feel joy. Scarcity is also another part of this guidepost. So it's guidepost four is letting go of scarcity and fear of the dark and cultivating gratitude and joy. So scarcity is also a struggle of mine. This is that I'm not thin enough. I didn't get up early enough. I didn't work out enough. I didn't do enough work. I didn't see my friends enough. I don't have enough money. That self-shame that I've talked about a lot. I did that to myself this morning. I set an alarm for really early because I wanted to get up and go for a run before I had to start kind of this really, really, really busy day that I have. And I didn't, or I set my alarm and I went back to sleep and slept for an hour and a half longer than I wanted to. And this week has been so mentally and physically just draining on me. Um, you know, I, I really care for a lot of other people and I want to be there and through something like this. And then also, right. Um, my life already is I'm fucking worn out. And so I haven't, I've only worked out twice this week so far. So I might get in two or three workouts this week. And I'm just like, immediately my thought this morning when I woke up was like, what the fuck shell, you know, that like, God now. And so then of course I'm already thinking in my, I mean, I, the second I open my eyes, I'm like, okay, it's this time you woke up an hour and a half late fucking idiot. Um, okay. So if we get up and do this, then we could go for a run and then we could just do that really quick. And then we could go run there and drop those off for, for her. And then we could get on the road and do this and do that and do that. And like, how many, how much time do I have? And I'm like, fuck, you know, I'm not gonna have time to go for a run. And then I'm thinking, oh my God, I haven't, it's been, that'll be four days in a row that I don't work out. And that's the first thought in my mind. And not every, I don't wake up like that every day. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. But where I fall in this guidepost is I'm more towards scarcity and fear of the dark than I am on gratitude and joy. And that's for a reason. I am constantly on edge waiting for something bad to happen because I'm used to bad things happening. And I never feel like I'm enough. And I'm working really, really, really working on it. I really, really am that I'm enough. We're enough. Life is enough. You know, everything that you're doing, it's enough that the shame gremlins really, really come out in scarcity. I shame myself so much. I'm so hard on myself and I'm trying really hard to work towards not being like that. You know, um, my body image and my wanting to be enough for people and wanting to that perfectionism that I strive for 
it shows up in so many of these, right, we could say right now for the sake of this conversation, it shows up so much in these guideposts of just this, like, this image that I can have of myself sometimes and that the lengths that I will go to look a certain way, um, it's not healthy. And so I have been over the last couple of years, really, really, really practicing gratitude. So that's the other side of right. Cultivating gratitude and joy is the opposite of scarcity and fear of the dark. I have gratitude journals that I do. I have, um, you know, I journal every morning, which is something that's new. I used to do a grat, just simply a gratitude journal, um, in the morning, which was really great. It's like, you know, uh, five things I'm grateful for, you know, there was a couple of other things to like, one thing I love about myself and things like that. I used to do that. And now I've kind of switched to just journaling in the morning. And, you know, one of the first things that I do when I wake up after I take the puppy out is I'll sit in journal and I'll write in there, you know, just my thoughts for the morning and, um, what I'm grateful for. And Brene's research has shown her that grateful people are joyful people, right? But there's a difference between feeling joy and feeling happiness. Joy is though, are those little moments, um, every single day that over time can fill you with light. If you make a habit of finding joy in every little thing. And that's, that's more of the mindset that I try to have every day. And this is a fucking practice. Oh my God. Because there's always so much shit going on with all of us. There's always something that I could be like, what if this happens? Or I'm not this enough. I'm not this enough. I'm not this enough. It's difficult to get past that. So I think instilling a gratitude practice every day is, I mean, and it's the simplest thing you could do. It takes up two minutes to sit down and just write out. You can do it in like your notes app on your phone. You can buy a gratitude journal. You can do it while you're journaling. Three things that you're grateful for that day. I'm grateful that I woke up. I'm grateful that I have the opportunity to just live another day. I'm grateful for my dog. I'm grateful that I have a house, you know, things like that, or it can be bigger. But I think that that has really, really helped me over the last couple of years to put things into perspective and to get out of that mindset of just like, something shitty is going to happen or all the things that I don't have and feel like I have enough of. Um, and then finding that joy in everyday life when I'm walking the kids to school, a lot of times that's when I feel it. I look at them, you know, and look at their mom and just, I'm just filled with so much joy. The kids do that for me a lot because they feel so much joy all the time. Life hasn't shown them its sharp end of the sword yet. And I love that. I feel joy when I go for a nice walk with Mika and I don't have my phone with me. 
I feel joy when I talk to one of my neighbors and have a good conversation about like, how's your day? So gratitude practices daily and then finding joy in everyday life. Now let's move on. Guidepost six. So I had said she skipped guidepost five, um, which is about kind of spirituality and faith. Guidepost six is cultivating creativity and letting go of comparison. Oh, okay. I'm low in this one. I'm lower in this one. This is my second lowest one. Um, I'm a, so perfectionism and self-compassion, that's my lowest one. And then it's this one. So this is, this is, this is tough. I have made a life of comparing myself to other people. Um, and I think some of it stems from me growing up. I didn't feel like I, I looked like anybody or thought like anybody or acted like anybody around me. Right. So I always thought I was kind of, kind of weird. I was always in my own head and always making up stories and always just I had such an imagination and I felt like I just didn't quite fit anywhere. And so I think what I did was stifle that creativity to fit in because I didn't want to be different from everybody else. I wanted to be like everyone else. I wanted to you know, when we lived on the East coast, I wanted to look like all of them and act like them. When we moved to Montana, I wanted to, you know, look like them and act like them. Well, let me tell you me being a mixed girl in Montana, I don't look like everybody else, (laughs) but I remember I would stifle my creativity because I was so worried about what other people would think. And then as I got older, I was so worried about what everybody else was doing And, you know, okay, I need to do that or feeling bad about myself that I'm not in that, you know, I'm not there. I'm not where that person is. And that's difficult. I think though, I'm getting better at this because I've allowed myself to be more creative in the last couple of years and to be okay and open about my creativity right? And not embarrassed or, you know, um, feeling shame about it, but to really embrace creativity in my life. And that can look different from, creativity can look different. I think, I think it is about creating. It's just creating something, cook, write, paint, knit, (laughs) decorate. I don't know, sing, create something. And I think with this work that I've been doing with this podcast and the writing and the blogs, I have been really creative this year and I've, it feels so 
good. It gives me meaning. It helps to put meaning into life when so often that's what we're searching for, right? What does all this fucking mean? (laughs) So Brene says that if creativity is seen as a luxury or something we do when we have spare time, it will never be cultivated. I carve out time every week to take and process photographs, make movies, and do art projects with the kids. When I make creating a priority, everything in my life works better. This is not something, right? Like this this podcast and this writing and things like that that I do, journaling, creating, spending time writing, spending time with myself, just kind of in that creative, creative bubble that's written into my planner every single week because I need to recharge. I need to get those creative juices flowing. And it really, really, really makes a difference on my quality of life. She also says, kind of the end of this, this, um, this chapter for this guidepost to, on how to get going. She says, take a class, risk feeling vulnerable and new and imperfect and take a class. There are wonderful online classes. If you need more flexibility, try something that scares you or that, or something you've dreamt about trying. You never know where you'll, where you'll find your creative inspiration. If you would have told me five years ago that I had a podcast and I talked about my life and, and my experiences and the things that I'm dealing with, I would on the surface have laughed at your face and on the inside would have said, fuck yes. Like finally, you know, it's that we all have that creative being in us. That's just waiting to come out. And that looks different in all of us. How we express our creativity looks different. Try different things, find things. But what makes me me is different from everybody else. So why would I compare myself to somebody else? I'm not them. They're not me. They'll never be me and I'll never be them. We are two different balls of energy that are not the same. We are connected. We're not the same. So that's that one. (laughs) Now I can get into something good. I feel like all these, I'm like, I'm low. (laughs) I'm bad at this. Okay. Guidepost seven. Mm -hmm. Letting go of Exhaustion as a status symbol and productivity as self-worth and cultivating play and rest. Your girl is, well, let me, I'm looking at this from like, I'm like, right. I'm almost dead center. I'm just a, like a little tiny bit farther to the left, which is that letting go upside, right? So trying to let go of exhaustion as a status symbol and productivity of self-worth and cultivating play and rest. This, because I am a fucking perfectionist, 
has always been my mindset. Um, and especially in my adult life, I have always done 500 million things at the same time. I am always trying to take care of people. I'm always trying to be there for people. I always try to do a million things in my life, right? I'm constantly, I'm very organized. I work out a lot. I work a lot. I am then, you know, I'm there for other people. If I let myself do this, I fall into a really, really, I'm just going to say a tired place to be very honest. So this is that, you know, exhaustion is a status and like, oh, I'm just so tired because I've just you know, been doing so much. I've just been working like 16 hours a day and I've just been doing so much. That comes across as like, wow, like you really work hard, but it's trying to get that, uh, that status. Like, yeah, look at me. I work 16 hours a day and take care of everybody else, but myself (laughs) and productivity is self-worth that you know, I just get, you know, I got so much done today. If I didn't, you know, look how many things I crossed off. That means that I did good today. That means I'm good. I'm good because I crossed all of these things off my list. No, 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 no. This, this has been really difficult for me in the past. Um, and I am getting better at this. This is, this is one that I'm pretty, you know, I'm, I'm leaning more towards the cultivating side. I've been doing this over probably recently, maybe the last year. Um, I used to get up at, for years, I would get up about four o'clock in the morning and I'd go for a run or I would work out and I would, you know, get ready for the day. I would, you know, look at my planner 8 million times. I'd have the whole day you know, and then I'd sit at night and I do, I don't even right. Sometimes I don't even know what I was doing, but I would do something to busy myself. And I did that for years and I was always so tired. I was always so tired. I got more stuff done though, than I think anyone I've ever known. When I tell you, my God, the amount of shit that I used to be able to fit into one day, you know, especially when I was a nanny and I was married and I was finishing school and getting sober and doing all this stuff, the amount of stuff that I did for, for other people in one day was, I don't even, oh my God, I slept for like three hours a night for years. and. I thought that that's what made me good. I thought that that was how someone would tell me you're doing a good job is if I was living like that, if I was exhausted, but productive. 
even with work, I can get like that. Um, you know, I'll send an email at 5am and someone will say something and I'll be like, yeah, I'm just, you know, trying to get a bunch of stuff done. And I have to remind myself, why the fuck do you need to be sending an email at 5am? Nobody needs that. Nobody needs that. (laughs) So I've been learning to, this goes along with self-compassion. Definitely. I've been learning to be compassionate with myself and give myself time to rest. Letting myself sleep an extra couple of hours. My therapist this week's, you know, she said kind of the same thing. Cause I was like, I didn't, it was a session I had with her and I was, I wanted to get up early and work out and I didn't. And she said, you are dealing with a lot right now. This is a heavy week. Give yourself that extra hour to sleep. Why? Why not? You can hit it hard next week, you know? And, and so I have, I've really been trying to cultivate that, that rest because I do a lot. I do a lot. I work a lot. I try to do a lot for myself and I do a lot for other people, but I love it that way. So in order to do those things well and fully and, and completely and with love, I have to let myself rest. Also, I love that she put in here play and rest. So play is something that, and I love how she, when I was listening, so I've read the book and I've also listened to it. I love when she was talking about play because she describes it as something that's like, there's no purpose to it kind of thing, right? Like, like going out and throwing a ball around, right? I'm not really going, like, I'm not going to get a raise for doing this. I'm not going to, (laughs) you know, like lose a bunch of calories. So it's not really like a workout. Um, I'm not necessarily, you maybe wouldn't consider it to be productive, but that's play. Think of a kid playing, right? When the kids are playing in their room, they're just playing with a toy. What's coming out of that? I mean, they're not really being productive in any sort of the sense. They're not cleaning. They're not, you know, I don't doing homework or, you know, like reading a book or learning or whatever, you know, but they're just playing just kind of that like mindless playing. And that's really difficult for me to grasp and to do because I'm always, I'm kind of always thinking about the next thing that I need to do. Right. So being present and finding things that you love to do a sport that you love to do. Do you love to just walk? Do you love to, um, sit around and have game night with friends? Do you love to go throw a ball around? 
you know, with your friends or with kids, that sort of thing, that sort of play is really, really important to cultivate into our, into our lives. I think there's a ton of research that's being done and maybe I'll do like a, even a separate episode on just like play and how as adults, as children, we're fucking, we're like, I'm playing and the kid can sit in the room for hours. They're not worried about, I sat in my room and played for hours. So I don't know if I'm going to have time to, I don't know, do whatever. They're not worried about that. So why as adults are we so consumed with the next thing and with our to-do list that we don't allow ourselves time to play? Just because we are adults now, we have responsibilities, we have people to take care of, it doesn't mean that we are not allowed to play anymore. So I think for me, it's almost like when maybe someone says like, what's your hobby? You know, what do you do for fun? Just for mindless fun. What do you do? How do you play? So I think I think that's it. <laughs> like these are tough, man. I am just, I'm real weighing it all on the cards. Um, yeah, those are hard for me. I have a lot of things that I need to, I need to work on continuing to cultivate gratitude, joy, creativity, play and rest in my life and stop being so fucking wound up all the time. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. So next week as I'm going to finish this up, I'll wrap this up next week. I'm going to be going over guideposts eight through 10, which is Guidepost eight is letting go of anxiety as a lifestyle. <laughs> I'm like the most anxious person on the planet <laughs> and cultivating calm and stillness, letting go of self-doubt and supposed to, and cultivating meaningful work, letting go of being cool and always in control and cultivating laughter, song, and dance. So I'm, I'm very intrigued on where I fall on some of these. Very intrigued. Can't wait to go through them. All right, you guys, thank you so much for listening. If you want any additional content or want to reach out to me, follow me on Instagram at remarkably underscore us. You can also check out my website, remarkablyus.com for all my blogs and episode information and yada, yada, yada. Next week, I will post part three of this series and we can wrap up my tools Um, if you want to take this wholehearted inventory quiz, go to brenebrown.com and, um, you click on the, let me just make sure I I do this or I tell you guys, right. Yeah. So go to brenebrown.com and you'll click on the top, right? There's a button that says the gifts hub. You'll click on that scroll down. You'll see the book there. Um, you can listen to a little, a little three minute blurb of her talking about the book. Um, and then on number two, you'll scroll down to the bottom of the screen. Number two says, take the wholehearted inventory. So that's what I did. Um, and it's just, this is, this is a really, really wonderful book. Um, you know, everything that I do is really, how can I cultivate the most remarkable life possible? And then how can I share with other people how I'm doing it and what I'm struggling with. And I love that 
her the quote on this so on on her web page the gifts hub the first thing that pops up on the top there's a picture of the book but the quote is owning our story and loving ourselves through that process is the bravest thing we'll ever do and i i like i could get emotional owning my story over the last couple of years of doing this and and writing and and having this podcast, actually owning my story and learning how to love myself through this. Fuck, that's tough. But she's right. It is the bravest thing we'll ever do. And without that, without owning our story, loving ourselves, and then telling our story, what are we doing here? What are we doing? Okay, you guys, I love you. Thanks so much for listening. Reach out to me if you need anything. If you have any questions or want to chat, I'm here. I love you. Please never forget how wildly capable you are. Till next time. Bye.